Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This life science focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to keep you up to date. Hello and welcome to the Xtalks Life Science Podcast. I'm Vera Kovacevic, Editor-in-Chief at Xtalks.com, and this week I'm delighted to introduce a very special guest on the show. Today we have with us Amir Reichman, CEO of Sinai Immunotherapeutics, a biopharma company focused on developing, manufacturing, and commercializing innovative inflammation and immunology biological products, primarily for the treatment of autoimmune and infectious diseases. Amir will speak to us today about some of the um, company's work in the autoimmune and infectious disease space. So let's turn over to Amir Reichman, and welcome to the show, Amir. We're so glad to have you. Thank you very much. Um, Very happy to be here with you. Um, and I'm delighted to uh, be presenting Sinai Immunotherapeutics to our uh, audience at Xtalks. First of all, I wanted to ask you, can you give us an overview of the company and its core mission in the biopharma landscape? Sure. So Sinai Immunotherapeutics um, is a NASDAQ-traded company under the symbol SCNI. Um, we, as we said, foc- are focused on developing, manufacturing, and commercializing innovative uh, Im- inflammation and immunology biological uh, products for the treatment of autoimmune and infectious diseases. We operate with two business units, one an R&D business unit that develops our own pipeline, which is uh, fully licensed from the highly prestige um, research uh, center uh, or research institute uh, of the Max Planck uh, Institute in Göttingen, Germany, and the University Medical Center Göttingen also in Germany. Uh, we have a pipeline of uh, VHH antibodies uh, for the treatment the, for, that we develop for the treatment of these INI indications. The other business unit that we have is a CDMO business unit, which provides contract development and manufacturing services to small uh, early stage biotechs. Uh, at preclinical and the early clinical stages. Um, and there we leverage our very nicely built GMP grade manufacturing site, which meets EMA and FDA requirements, um, allowing them to uh, put in one place development and uh, manufacturing at uh, the right conditions for the different preclinical and clinical trials that they have. Our core mission is to build a healthier and happier world by developing, manufacturing, and commercializing innovative INI biological products, primarily for the treatment of autoimmune and infectious diseases. Yeah, so speaking about the autoimmune and infectious disease markets, how is Sinai planning to address the unmet medical needs in those two areas? Sure, so as I mentioned, uh, we are developing a pipeline based on VHH antibodies. VHH antibodies are called also nanobodies. And these are uh, antibody fragments, variable fragments of heavy chain only antibodies produced from uh, uh, camelid animals. Namely, in our case, it's alpacas, but it can kind of be done uh, with llamas, alpacas, or camels. These are very small uh, antibody fragments, about one-tenth of the size of the commercially available today monoclonal antibodies. 
Uh, today, the monoclonal antibodies compose uh, the majority of the blockbusters in, the, in, in any almost therapeutic area. Um, our strategy is to develop a biobetter. So what does it mean? We attack the same molecular target, originally targeted by an already marketed monoclonal antibody, but where the currently market antibody cannot address all patient indications or patient uh, populations. Uh, we take, how do we do that? We basically take advantage of the unique physicochemical characteristics of these VHH antibody fragments to develop drugs that would be able to serve those segments currently underserved. So in general, we develop antibodies against molecular targets such as uh, interleukin-17, which is uh, uh, now used for the treatment of psoriasis, psoriatic arthritis, HS, interleukin-13, TSLP, and interleukin-4 receptor alpha, which are now used in the market for treatment of asthma and atopic dermatitis, and VEGF and angiopoietin-2 for uh, macular degeneration. Take for instance, uh, instance the psoriasis, you have today 125 million patients, of them 15.7 in the seven major markets, US, EU5, and Japan. 80 to 90% suffer from plaque psoriasis. The current biological therapies, uh, the current monoclonal antibodies, are targeted only to the moderate and severe patients, but in fact, mostly are used by the severe, which compose about 22% of the patient populations. Um, these drugs are administered systemically, means uh, they go into the blood circulation, and mild patients that are currently not allowed to use these bi biologics are suffering from uh, considerable and uh, visible lesions, uh, which may be uncomfortable, painful, and can also impact their social and mental well-being. Uh, while they can be regarded by the physician as a mild case, um, they're still ineligible for biological treatments. And uh, moderate psoriatic patients that are are eligible many times do, do not take the biological drugs uh, either for the costs uh, or the side effects associated with these drugs. This is where we um, uh, used the unique physicochemical properties of the antibodies that uh, we develop, and we aspire to to administer our nanobodies locally, something that monoclonal antibodies cannot be doing because of their size. Ours will travel across the skin. So in a way, we aspire to be the Botox-like solution for psoriatic patients. Imagine if psoriatic patients goes to the aesthetic center or dermatologist and then receiving small intradermal injections of less than 50 microliter each one, not painful, um, into the lesion. And then maybe after one or two treatments, uh, they have a remission for at least a few months um, so that they, they do not, they do not uh, get the systemic risks that are associated with biologics. It's not going to be anywhere close to the cost of biologics. So everybody is happy and we can open. We actually expand the pie by using this technology. Great. And uh, just to clarify, when you say like expand the pie, do you mean that more patients, not just the ones with severe disease, can perhaps take the treatment? Exactly. Okay, great. And um, I wanted to ask you, like, what are the biggest challenges you face in developing the new nano antibodies or in general, in your opinion, what are the challenges with developing biologics? Yeah, so there are the, the, the general challenges, which are timelines and costs. So it takes time to develop a manufacturing process. Um, but even before that, uh, the discovery period 
takes time. So just to discover a novel antibody against a novel target takes approximately seven years and up to $200 million. We basically shaved this risk and this timeline uh, and costs because we went after an already a list of already validated uh, molecular targets that we know that if targeted by an antibody will generate a, a clinical benefit to the patient. Why do we say that? Because we know that other monoclonal antibodies have already been registered and are uh, nicely applied in the market. The so even though we de-risked the, the project, and so we started, uh, you know, we kind of shaved about seven years there, it still takes time to develop the manufacturing process, including all the analytical methods required to comply with the highest uh, quality assurance requirements, and also preclinical studies and clinical studies until proof of concept in humans can take two to three years from project initiation at our uh, technology. It then would take additional three to four years to launch a product uh, from first of, uh, first in human POC until the product launch uh, in already available in the market. We also have uh, specific uh, challenges uh, for uh, this period, which uh, reflect the current market conditions because current interest rates are quite high. So uh, investors are uh, more reluctant in uh, investing in risky assets that uh, uh, present a longer term ROI, even though the potential uh, um, IRR can be uh, very high the risk associated with that uh, because of the, the the amount of the number of years they need to wait uh, presents their uh, risk and then uh, that brings a challenge to um, entrepreneurs and uh, startups when they want to um, invest in R&D with uh, long-term uh, results yeah yeah um in my work since I'm a journalist I did write about how the in general the whole like biotech IPO market is uh, lower than usual. So we've heard about that um, too. Right. So I wouldn't maybe to take an advantage here and mention um, two things. One, we do see um, now an improvement in the capital market. So every week we see more and more deals, let them be acquisitions, uh, follow-on offerings, uh, IPOs. So we see an increasing uh, sentiment towards or a positive sentiment against uh, towards uh, biotech. I think the horizon looks at a redu redu uh, interest rate reduction in the future. So people are starting to build their positions toward that. Um, and then the other thing that we're doing, we basically uh, opened a CDMO business unit and the CDMO business unit serves uh, several purposes. One, um, it generates cash, which allows us to absorb our fixed costs. So we already have the manufacturing site, which is a unique uh, value proposition for a, a small uh, preclinical biotech. Uh, we inherited it from a previous company that we restructured, which was called BioNVax, so that developed an influenza vaccine. Um, this company uh, did tremendously well until phase three, but unfortunately the, the product failed to meet primary endpoints. Um, and so what we inherited was a site. It's a, it's a highly designed site, brand new, with all the capabilities for clinical manufacturing, laboratories. We have 20,000 square foot of uh, laboratories and uh, clean rooms. And so instead of having them uh, idle now until we are in the clinics, we are offering our capabilities uh, because everything is in place, the quality management systems is in, are in place, the equipment and the, the SOPs, et cetera. 
And so there we can actually generate value to other biotechs. We flex our muscle in drug development and we generate cash to absorb the fixed costs. And that uh, allows us to increase our runway for every dollar invested by our investors for the R&D pipeline. Speaking about other challenges, I was also going to ask how is Sinai navigating the very complex regulatory environment, especially concerning FDA and EMA guidelines? Yeah, so uh, we have uh, we are working with uh, regulatory uh, experts. Uh, we are working with people that have been uh, either holding roles in these agencies or with uh, firms that uh, employ such uh, people so that we can get uh, the most current advice. Uh, we have, of course, our internal people up to date with all the requirements. Uh, we take, uh, of course, a consultation and, uh, and advice from the local uh, Ministry of Health, which is uh, considered a QP uh, fully approved by the EMA. Uh, European medicinal agency, so we know whatever they say is probably going to be eligible, uh, basically the same like EMA, and we are uh, constantly taking advice from uh, the Paul Ehrlich Institute, uh, who is uh, the well-regarded uh, regulatory agency of Germany, um, and so because uh, the uh, you know our drugs are 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 in licensed from a German uh, research institute, and uh, we have good relations with the PI, and uh, one can sign for scientific advice with the PI. And usually if you comply or, you know, follow the advice of the PI, your chances of passing, uh, you know, an IMPD with EMA are quite high. And that also allows you to get prepared for the pre-IND meeting with FDA. Because usually if you go for the FDA pre-IND, you can't really have two. So you need to be really sharp and ready for the first one. So that's how we take advantage. And can you tell us a little bit more about uh, the, the company's like growth vision? How many employees approximately work at Sinai right now? And what is Sinai Immunotherapeutics approach to growing and scaling its operations? Sure. So we have uh, about 30 employees now. Um, some of them are uh, scientists who work in the R&D arm, and some of them are engineers and technicians who work on the CDMO arm. Um, we the CDMO arm can grow significantly up to about 90 employees, uh, depending on demand, right? So the more and now knock on wood, we have very nice demand and we're growing constantly. So uh, we hope to see by the end of 2024 a nice uh, you know record of. Uh, um, um, revenues for the CDMO, and if we are able to generate a um, nice growth uh, curve into 2025, we'll be able to scale up up to 90 employees, and these can uh, generate easily approx uh, up to $12 million a year um, in incoming revenues for the CDMO. If we double... Um, Sorry, for, for we can do the 12 million with up to 50. If we double the employees almost up to 90, we can generate up to 25 million in, in top line revenues. Um, and so, but again, it all depends on demand and we are now working very hard on establishing the demand by investing in sales, marketing and business development for the CDMO. For the R&D arm, um, our strategy is to team up with a partner, say a pharmaceutical partner, the main uh, and the main reason for that is um, the the main market for biologics, specifically in INI, um, is the United States. So, for example, as I mentioned in psoriasis, in psoriasis, let's say the seven uh, major markets, they have fifteen point seven million people. Seven point five million of them are in the United States. However, sales-wise, uh, 
United States uh, account for 82% of the sales um, and so dollar-wise, right? So one uh, should really focus on, on the United States where the major majority of the business is. Now, we're a startup company and we don't want to take risks with regard to perfect launch in the United States. To do a perfect launch in the United States, one need to team up with a company that has the capabilities to do a launch in the United States, including sales, marketing, uh, distribution, uh, co commercial manufacturing at FDA standards, etc. So our aspiration is to find the right partner uh, when it, uh, the time comes, either after preclinical uh, proof of concept in animals or in after preclinical after uh, proof of concept in human beings. Um, and at that point, we will probably do an out licensing specifically for the United States for sure. And uh, about Europe, we'll have to see whether we keep Europe for ourselves and manufacture through CMO or we out license also for US. This is uh, going to be the same for the rest of the pipeline. Uh, but gradually, once we start to get more and more non-dilutive cash, uh, we will aspire, of course, to grow and uh, invest in our own manufacturing facility so that we can capture uh, some of the uh, manufacturing and sales uh, for uh, by ourselves. But that's more like down the road. So that's basically the, the strategy for us and how to approach uh, the market and to uh, market uh, entrance with our drugs. Great. And um, I wanted to go back to talking a little bit more about the inflammation and immunology sector. Was wondering, in your opinion, what are the most significant trends in those two disease areas currently? And um, does Sinai's approach align or perhaps differ with those industry trends? Right. So we, we see, first of all, a high attractiveness in this area because in the past uh, 20 years, um, monoclonal antibodies were mainly used for treatment of chronic disease uh, that are would be regarded as a, also, you know, like the, the cancer, you know. So um, uh, oncology uh, was the main target for uh, MABS. Um, in recent years, we saw more and more um, INI indications uh, uh, receiving monoclonal antibodies. Now, when someone treats an oncology target with a monoclonal antibody, you can use a very potent monoclonal antibody and you should not be too or too concerned about, uh, for example, an antibody drug uh, reaction uh, from the patient or um, uh, or about potential side effects because in the end, you, you, you the regulator and the patient and the physician will always look at the be benefit versus, uh, you know, the cost and the risks. Um, and so when you have someone has cancer, you know, the, 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 everybody will be willing to take higher risks. When you're talking about an I and I indication, uh, you're talking about a patient that needs to take the drug for life. So somebody will be, you know, diagnosed at 35, 40, and then she'll have to take the drug until she's 85 or 90. And that's uh, a little bit becoming non-sustainable because of the cost, because of the long-term exposure to biologic drugs, because of the body's ability to generate resistance, because of uh, uh, different side effects like suicidal thoughts, uh, obesity, heart uh, issues, etc. So we see a trend in the market of INI for uh, either uh, basically moving to small molecules like uh, you know JAK inhibitors and TIC2, etc. But what I think the market is currently missing is 
um, they all go after the severe patients and they moderate to severe in the best case. Uh, but that's basically be, uh, making all this environment very, very um, um, condensed and uh, highly competitive. And if you look at uh, market researchers uh, from recent uh, publications, you will see that the massive unmet need is still uh, stays with the mild patients who just receive very gener uh, you know, generic drugs have, that haven't seen any innovation in the past 25 years. Um, it's true for asthma, it's true for psoriasis, it's true for atopic dermatitis. Um, and there, biologics don't really go. And the, the big advantage of biologics is the specificity. So even the, the best you know, uh, pills that are now developed, they're not super specific and they can get attached to other targets in the body, not related specifically to the disease itself, and then generate side effects. Or if you do it in too low of a dose, the efficacy is harmed. So in the end, the efficacy and specificity of biologics is uncomparable. So you, you can't really, uh, you cannot beat it. And so by developing and locally administered antibody that can be uh, generating the same efficacy and specificity of a MAB, but without the systemic exposure, you are generating a new market here. And that's what we're trying to do. And as CEO, what is your strategic vision for Sinai in the next five years, particularly in the field of inflammation and immunology? Sure. So I'd like in the next five years to be already in phase three for uh, psoriasis. Uh, I'd like us to continue and develop the drugs for asthma and atopic dermatitis. Uh, we would like to be at that point in about phase two. And we'd like to further in-license additionally nanoabs uh, for additional indi uh, indications. I'd like also to see the CDMO business grow uh, so that we can start to become almost uh, independent um, in the way we generate cash and invest in our own R&D. Um, and then I'd like to have uh, a couple of contracts with uh, uh, large and medium-sized pharma companies that will partner with us to um, develop together the, uh, the parts of our pipeline. That's very important for us because aid provides a valid validation of our scientific thinking about uh, the, the favorability of our uh, strategy. It also provides with uh, certainty around uh, future ability to launch our product and supply them. And last, it provides a non-dilutive cash, which is important to further propel the company and to support our R&D expansion. And how will you foster a culture of innovation and excellence within Sinai? Yeah, that's uh, something that we do uh, from day one. Um, I think the, the challenge that we have now is to make sure that we um, on one hand, focus on innovation and uh, research um, and drug development, sorry, but uh, on the other hand, that we are very um, focused on customer service and on uh, operational excellence. In the end, uh, it, they, these two things do not contradict each other. I think one of the things that uh, can be a trap for an R&D company is that we become complacent with uh, losing time because uh, there is no uh, true pressure here when we have a cdmo we have um we have a client that we committed a timeline for and now that uh, you you start to develop this kind of operational excellence culture 
quality above everything, the safety, the, you know, it's very, it becomes very disciplined work and uh, uh, very pride in a uh, highly high pride in, in a uh, very structured and uh, uh, timely deliverables. Um, then it really starts to propel. We see that, imp- uh, you know, actually um, impacting our R&D work because it becomes very fast and uh, focused and uh, prioritized. So it actually um, feeds each other and uh, it helps in fostering this uh, uh, culture. Well, thank you very much, Amir, for being on the show today. I greatly appreciate your time for the insightful discussion. Thank you very much for, for having me here. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for uh, X-Talks as well. And thank you for you, uh, Vera. Thanks for listening to the X-Talks Life Science Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X-Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalks.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.